Hello and welcome back to the Vacation Bible School Podcast. My name is Jason Kirk, and if you are in a point in your life when you feel like you need a, a semi-competent grown-up figure uh, sitting backward in a chair with a backward hat, then yes, I, w- I will serve as youth pastor to some degree. Uh, ho- however, however I am called, I am willing to serve. Uh, joined as always by Emily Kirk. Hello, Emily. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. On this podcast, we are endeavoring to read our way back through the entire Bible after having grown up with it as kids and remembering a version of it and now attempting to reconcile that with everything that's actually there, with everything that might be there, with all the other cool stuff that we either missed out on as kids or intentionally missed as kids or just didn't really remember. We've made it through the entire book of Genesis, Woo! through half of Exodus, Wow! only dozens of books to go great progress. Uh, the business is picking up though a little bit. No, once we get through Exodus, we should be able to uh, get back to the original plan, which was like roughly a book an episode. Yeah, yeah. The first two, the first two books are uh, they're 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 quite consequential in my opinion. It, it is funny going back to the original idea, which is like, oh yeah, we'll we'll just do a we'll just do one book per episode, one episode per book. It'll be easy. It'll be clean. And like on the first episode of this, I'm like, so the first one we're going to do just the first part of Genesis, and then we'll get right into it and. I feel like we keep saying that even in our <laughs> even if even if it's not on the show then when we have our conversations with each other it's always like oh yeah we're only going to do this for this or this for that and then <laughs> no it's not really at all what happens yeah the original idea was like all right let's let's just cram the Joseph story in with Exodus and then burn through Exodus it's like what in the world where where did that idea come from Exodus is on it, it's going to be four episodes yeah it's also amazing to me how many of our Bible stories come from these two books of the Bible. Yeah, this is dense stuff. You you really can't speed through that. And we knew that. We knew where this Ten Commandments story was. We knew where the Red Sea story was. You know, uh, it's just in your head. The idea of book per episode sounds easy until you realize, like, okay, you could do twenty episodes on just Genesis. You could actually you could do fifty episodes on just Genesis. An episode per chapter. Well, and then every time you start to kind of dive into the material, you learn more and more. It's it's like a rabbit hole that never ends. Yeah. And, and you realize, like, how much is still there. I think all the time about how, like, if we somehow make it all the way through Revelation, we hit the Apocrypha we want to hit, we make it through the entire Ethiopian Orthodox Bible, which is 81 books, how fun it would be to go circle back and do Genesis, do, do the creation story all over again. Ooh, it's going to be a long time from now, folks. <laughs> yeah, set your... Set your Set your alarms. This will be well into the tribulation. Yeah. yeah. Jason also really likes a good rabbit hole. So <laughs> it's time for a break from all that stuff. We decided it's time for a Q&A type episode, a community type episode. We're going to gather around the campfire. We're going to tell not ghost stories. Bible stories. Bible stories. We're going to take prayer requests. Uh, we have fielded some questions and comments from our Patreon donors. Why, yes, we do have a new Patreon. Patreon.com slash VBS podcast, where we have stickers and mugs. You can get yourself a VBS podcast associate pastor mug. Early episode releases. If you are already a Patreon donor, then you are receiving this three days. That's right, three days. Think about it. Before everyone else. Uh, and yeah, so we field a question from those folks, some of the folks in our Discord, uh, and our Twitter followers, VBS podcast. So we got a mix of different folks in here. Let's start it off with a question from Brianna. Brianna, I apologize. One of the two is likely correct. (laughs) You've both talked a little bit about the faiths you had as younger people. Has doing this show changed that in any way for either of you? I'll let Jason answer this one first. 
Yeah, we have talked a little bit about our faith, and I was raised Southern Baptist, and around like college age, it sort of started to fall away. As you know, it's 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 not a unique story, but this idea that you have when you're raised in a very literalist, fundamentalist church, where so much of your faith is based on you know a few load-bearing principles, right? And I thought there were more of those than there were. You know, I thought like, well, I believe in in, in Jesus and God and the Trinity and salvation and redemption. And um, yeah, tri- the tribulation is awesome. So yeah, that and like be a good person. You know, there, there's a million different things that in my head were supporting my faith. But once I started to step away from some things, once youth group ended and all my friends moved on, you know, so which, you know, once once like going to church became less of an emotional community thing and it was more just like, all right, let's let's really think about what's happening here. I realized that only one thing was bearing the entire load and that was fear of hell. So for me, I applied like, all right, God, loving creator, father, etc., etc., creating people with foreknowledge, knowing they're going to hell. Does this add up? And to me, the answer was no. And the more I dwelled on that, the more I came to realize, like, well, that's why I'm here. That's the whole reason I'm here. Like, once, you know, take away the community because, you know, my friends have all gone, our, we've all gone our separate ways. We're all moving to various colleges or whatever. Once you take away the fun stuff and, like, I'm no longer in, in Christian punk bands and whatever, like, once you take away all the fun stuff, then all that was left was just... I'm here because I'm scared. And then once I decided there's really no reason to be scared, there was nothing there. So then after that, which was right around the time we got married. um, Yeah, I remember this because in our relationship, I felt like there was that shift too, because we had that common ground when we started dating. And then that did shift over time. I don't think it necessarily changed our relationship with each other, but there definitely was a shift. You know, we met via Christian music and we we talked about religious stuff all the time. And then as I started to fall away, I think we both, despite being immature youths, I think we both handled it in a way where it was like, this is what it is. We don't have to believe the same things for it. Like, I don't think we have ever had any kind of a dispute about any of that stuff. No, I mean, we are very much a couple who doesn't, we're not big fighters, honestly. So we generally can read each other very well and we have enough respect for each other to know that nothing that we do is coming out of place of malice or trying to hurt the other person. So as long as you have that understanding, it's a lot easier to deal with any differences that we do have. Yeah. So for maybe like 10 or 15 or how, I don't, I don't want to announce how old I am. You, you can, you can, you can keep those numbers calc- tallying as high as you like. It's probably not that high, not that old. Um, so for a number of years, I sort of fluctuated between between like, all right, am I hard agnostic where it's like, there is no way to know. Am I like, you know, a, a light agnostic where it's like, oh, maybe, you know, I just, I just don't know. Do I just straight up not care? You know, if someone asked for years, that was what I would say is like, it is so hard to know that I don't care. Over the past few years, I have floated my way back to, all right, let's apply the same the same brain that came to the conclusion that like, if God loves us, there's no hell. Let's apply that to what do we know, right? There was a big bang. Well, what happened before that, right? We can throw some math at it, but we don't know. What is at the edge of the universe? Well, we have some guesses, but we don't know. You know, what is consciousness? Good luck. Spend 50 years trying to define it. You can't. And the only explanation that has ever made sense to me is, you know, consciousness, the breath of God. Now, how do I define God? That's it. That's where I bail. Because I don't know. It's, it's not up to me. It's not up to me to have the answers. I believe that there is some sort of, I don't even know if 
divine is the right word, and I don't know if consciousness is the right word. I don't even know if universal is the right word. I believe there is something out there that is on a level that we can only barely perceive, that we might never perceive in any way that can make sense in any way other than emotions and poems and made-up theological arguments about those poems. But the vaguer, the better, the weirder, the better. I'm on board with basically anything, as long as it doesn't advocate for people hurting people. Anything, sure, cool. To me, these are all ways of perceiving this thing that we can only very, very, very lightly kind of conceive. And, you know, if someone asked me to put a word on this religion, like, I don't. Universalist? Is that the word? Hippie, lib, agnostic? Sure. You know, there's so little doctrine that I'll accept every mythology. Do you think the show has brought more of that out in you? Or do you feel like you were already there and now that now you're just getting to explore it with other people? Definitely the latter. Because, like, for me, the story of the Bible, you know, front and back, or so I thought. to me it was like oh this is a flawed version of the big grand mystical thing that i have figured out you know and the more time i spend with it with it the more time i realize like no the authors were on this wavelength the thing that is transmitted to us is rules and patriarchy and like yeah some of what's in the bible is patriarchy rules but we can read beyond that reading this has definitely made me realize that like you know, this, all of this is a lot more on board than I have thought for a long time. And my story is a bit different. Whereas I feel like Jason has always had this more by the book mentality when it comes to religion, whether that means he doesn't believe what's in the book or he's looking into other books or whatever that may be. Mine was very much more of the feeling side of things. So I grew up in a family even in all of my extended family, basically everyone was a part of the church. I have literally everyone from old evangelical beat the Bible into you preachers on one side. The women keep their hair long, wear skirts, all of that. And then on the other side, I have more of this progressive pastor mindset with other family members. So I, I have a good mix of all of that in there. I grew up going to church. Around the time I was in third grade, however, my life changed um, when I found out that my mom was a drug addict. And my life before that was still chaos. We grew up very poor. Um, my dad was not really in my life. But this was the time where I think she went to rehab for the first time when I was in third grade. And this was a time when kind of everything shifted. And now I was moving in with my grandma, with my older brothers. I had two younger siblings that were from my mom's current marriage. But my stepdad was not a father figure in that way for my brothers and I. So church became my father figure to an extent. So everything about my life leaned on my faith, whether that was just spending as much time as I could in the church because it was an outlet or being able to learn more about why my faith was what it was. And that whole concept of God is always there for you was everything that I needed in my life growing up because otherwise I didn't know who I had. So that shaped a lot of who I am. As I got older, obviously I was able to figure things out a little bit more for myself. I wouldn't say that my faith really ever changed. And in fact, at one point we got a new youth pastor. And the reason I didn't like him is because when he found out all of the things that I had been through with my mom and my family, his response was, I don't know if I could still believe after going through all of that. And I just felt like he was such a crock Hmm. because what youth pastor looks at you and says (laughs) that? (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd bail right there. And he is, (laughs) 
I just, I don't know. The youth pastor that I had before that was just everything that I needed a youth pastor to be. So for him to come in and it was just kind of like this, he gave up so easily and he didn't even know me. It was kind of baffling. Youth pastor Jonah taking one look and I'm out. (laughs) I don't know. It was, I just, I literally to this day have very little respect for him. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so I wouldn't say that my faith has changed or that the show has changed what I believe. It's more that now I get the opportunity to look at it from a perspective outside of just believing and needing that faith and needing God to be there for me because I'm not going through those same things in life. Even though a lot of the chaos is still there, it's not necessarily a part of my day-to-day living. So now I get to look at it from a more educational standpoint and be able to have this perspective of, oh, I get to learn this and I get to see what maybe Jason has seen all of these years, even though it's not necessarily changing who I believe God to be. Learning for me and maybe for you, a large part of the fun of this show is learning not just what we can for ourselves, but exchanging perspectives with listeners like in in the discord room where you know every day there's hours of catholics do this but protestants do this and both both sides who spring from the same source are baffled these people from other planets get weddings done in 15 minutes what (laughs) you know (laughs) that has further expanded at least my worldview you know because like i grew up in one denomination and my concept of non r church was like Oh, like monks, you know, or like, (laughs) so for you, is it like applying the thoughts and meditations of people before who had faith to current faith? Like, like the people in the Bible who were talking about faith, like, how does that change? Like, yeah, I mean, so much of it, and we haven't touched a whole lot on the idea of blind faith, but I think it's definitely there for like, especially all of these Israelites who were in Egypt for so long. And they didn't have Moses for so long guiding them and telling them all of these things that God was telling them. So from that standpoint of then they just kind of start going along with it. For me, it was like the things that were happening in my life, I don't think I could have gotten through them without at least the idea of someone there supporting me. And for me, that felt very real and still feels very real. So I can't say that now that I've gone through it, oh yeah, I just needed the idea of it. It's it's more that I literally don't know how I could have functioned without it. And if it was valuable then, why, why wouldn't it be valuable right. now? Right. Sure. So there's a testimony for you folks. <laughs> I will say it has been one of many rewarding things about reading the Hebrew Bible and finally paying like full attention to it for the first time in a long time is seeing like the power of the law. If you don't have magic word, fix everything if you you do have to be a good person there is a law god gave you the rules you should follow them if you don't follow them then you are receding further away from god that is bad you know it doesn't say you'll go to hell it says you're receding further away from god and that is bad and you should try to do the right things so you can go closer to it. like the law says take care of people take care of poor people take care of immigrants right and like i think a lot about the two sides of the coin of saying all right well law's good but we also got this other thing <laughs> where you do it once and pow, right? I was, I was, I was raised to believe once saved, always saved. And uh, there's a danger to that belief. There, there's a gift and a curse. If what it puts in your brain is, ah, oh, anything goes, you don't have to take care of poor people. That's sure, the Hebrew Bible says that, but Jesus said it's all good. We're all taken care of. Then 
Okay. Now you're kind of making mockery of both Testaments, you know? Is there a place in the Bible where the Baptists get that once saved, always saved from? <laughs> I always have wondered that because that's definitely not something that I learned, but I always knew it was a Baptist thing. Yeah. So basically you can take um, the assembled works of Paul and his boys uh, and you can argue for literally anything. So that's what they chose. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Um, so I guess for me, the, the thing about going back and reading the quote unquote Old Testament, like which it has felt awkward to me to call it the Old Testament since we started this because it is still the Testament. It's for, still very relevant. Yeah. It's still the deal for an entire group of people and the group of people we wouldn't have any of this without. It is the Testament. Right. Is seeing that like, all right, this is a daily ongoing challenge. This isn't a... Mr. Fix-It Jesus, wipe away everything. Once you're good, boom, do whatever you want. Even though that is not the message, to be clear, of Christianity. Jesus himself says, take care of poor people, take care of immigrants. Jesus says all the same stuff. It is the weird, twisted version that ruins everything for me. It is, it, it is going back and seeing the original stuff and seeing how strong the backing is for do the right thing. Don't just believe the right thing do the right thing. It wasn't new information when Jesus came along. Right. Yes. Uh, let's see. From Zach Bell, Young Love. Do you all still attend church at all? Uh, well, there, there's currently a quarantine, so no. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it is funny. I had I had wanted to visit a few different ones even before this as like kind of like research for a whole other project before this project just sort coming of like soon. happened <laughs> coming eh. <laughs> not soon <laughs> depending on when you listen to this i have streamed a few services um the uh orlando diocese which is the uh bishop of the catholic church in orlando is the religious figure in charge of the moon any souls on the moon water bear tardigrade astronauts on the moon their souls are being administered to by the bishop of orlando via the apollo space program that was that was interesting you know <laughs> visiting a catholic church online for 45 minutes it was like a thursday morning service just wow. boom 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 in and out i did not attend the service you were in around for that i was one. probably asleep but uh yeah it was nice and you know plan plan on plan on doing a little bit more tourism just stopping in I am always of the idea that I would like to attend church, but I think I've mentioned before that everywhere here feels like a massive church compared to what I grew up in and am super comfortable in. And there is a church, the one that I attend most frequently, which is still maybe a dozen times a year, if that is, I like it, but it, it's very big. But if I go to church, that's typically where I go. I don't have anything against going to church, obviously. This one is very like, Big non-denominational superstar pastor got a band, got another band, got a coffee shop. Like, but it's not like you know, it's not judgmental and it's not like money, money, money. It's just very modern. This is actually one of the first churches I've ever been to that does not have like an offering. They have like little columns at the back of the church where they say if you feel led to give, that's where they don't dwell on it, which is kind of amazing. But then the other cool thing that they do is like once a year when they do talk about money. It's bringing in all of these organizations and charities and local ministries that they give their money to to talk about where that money went, which is actually really cool because you get a firsthand view of like what your money went to help. And it, it kind of makes you actually want to give them money because of these things. A lot of the churches also volunteer, which I think helps because it's not trying to like pay people salary. Not that there's anything with wrong, wrong with making a salary, <laughs> but it's not, you're not just going to pay for the people in the church. Say that you're not just going to pay for like, you know, the pastor being gifted a new, a new classic restored classic car as a gift from church funds. Not that I've ever attended a church where that happened. Sure. 
and the pastor of this church is actually he's very easy to listen to and he's got a good humor to him so i i don't mind that church at all it's just very big for my preferences we need to find a tiny country church is that right <laughs> mm, i don't know not too country yeah, yeah. we've been we've been we went to a backwoods pentecostal service one time that was like seven hours i am no i'm not gonna do that like i, I was raised on long church that was too much church i, I had to tap out on that one <laughs> we also visited when i first moved out here like one of the only nazarene churches in georgia because i was like that's what i was familiar with and it was basically all old people oh, and yeah, they did give one. us a loaf of banana bread yeah. which was very sweet it was like we were their first gift first yeah. guests all year or something it like was that. i mean they were all very sweet but like we were like teenagers so <laughs> it wasn't probably the church home for us <laughs> they were trying to adopt us and that was very nice of them um from rebecca could we get your top five christian punk bands okay i can't rank mine so, i mean there's one i can rank <laughs> that's it i figured it would work like this because you are too uh, nice of a person to make someone be fifth when someone else is fourth I also have more than five. <laughs> <laughs> so Christian punk rock, um, to, to, to briefly explain, yeah, it sounds like punk rock. Um, anytime there is a new form of music, there will be a Christian version within one to five years. This goes for hip hop. Yes, there were Christian rappers in the 80s. I'm not sure about the 70s. In the 80s, yes. Uh, Christian punk rock in the 80s. Christian metal, Christian death metal in the 80s. No, we're not talking about Striper. We're talking about death metal. Um, there was Christian, uh, so there's a style of music, Norwegian black metal. This is the metal where they literally launched it by going around and burning down Christian churches. Wow. There was Christian black metal within like two or three years. They called it unblack metal. They called it white metal. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> the band Under Oath, one of the one of the biggest Christian bands. They started as a black metal band in like 1997 in like Tampa yeah, that's or like something. When we started listening to them, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Christian punk rock, which is like if, if you were a youth group type kid around the turn of the century, you were very likely into a lot of this stuff. So uh, who's who's going first here? Or do we do back um, and forth? Sure, we or? can go back and forth. Okay. Uh, at, at number five on my list, I have this band is near and dear to me because of how sincerely they took the stuff. Of how much it mattered to them, of how unashamed they were of who they were. You know, there there were lots of Christian bands that like tried to dress it up and sneaky and hide it. Like lots and lots of bands like Tooth and Nail Records. Um, it's it's like all right, there's like kind of a reference to like a proverb in track eight, but otherwise, mm-mm. he loves them for how honest they are. Yes, Dogwood. So Dogwood, every every single song feels like it was written by a youth pastor. Like it's just it's the the heart is on the sleeve. If you listen to Dogwood and don't immediately feel ah, oh, this feels like church, you're not listening to Dogwood. Like I'm I'm not gonna say they're incredible, but I can still go back and listen. Like man, these dudes in it, and that's awesome. And they were cool dudes. Like they showed up to a basement where we had like seven people, and they played their hearts out and very nice guys. So I also don't know that I listened to them and thought, yeah, this is punk rock. Yeah, it was never like, oh, I, oh It was yeah, like awesome. the church rock. Very, very church yeah. punk. Like I said, mine are not in order. I have seven listed here, and there's probably a lot more because I think I owned all 89,000 of their albums. But um, we'll just group a few of them together. The Huntingtons. So this was the Christian version of the Ramones. We'll, we'll pause for people to laugh, but that's, yeah. that's fine. Have your laughs. They were just fun to listen to. It was like kind of like old school punk. 
sound, and they were just they were just fun and to listen to. Fake English accents. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I don't actually remember that. I can okay. really. I feel like everyone in punk fakes an accent. That so. was very very ninety. It was like f- fake British Californian. Yeah, it's just different. But anyway, they're kind of a fun listen. Um, and then Five Iron Frenzy, which would be considered more ska probably, but they were still really fun, and I liked them a lot. And we'll go back and forth after I get through these, because then we'll be one for one. Um, and Squad Five O. Mm-hmm. Squad Five O, kind of like kind of ska, kind of glam rock. Glam rock would be a good kind of word. Like, punk was home base. Like, they started as very punk, and then they got kind of punk ska, and then they were like, I don't even know what you would compare them to, like, crew or something. But they were a punk band that hailed from Georgia, so I have a number four on my list. Oh, I know that Yeah. Oh. So, their first song that anyone ever knew about or paid any attention to was Our State Flag Sucks, about Georgia's state flag. (laughs) Our state flag still sucks, but not as much as it sucked at the time Squad 5-0 took it on, when it was literally a Confederate flag. Now it just references a confederate flag i want to say the singer's name was jeff and he had dreads but he was like the nicest guy too which always um influenced my opinion of a band because i literally would spend multiple nights a week going to some of these shows when they would pass through town so they were always a band that i would make the time to go see because he, he was so nice and actually i drove for a concert for my number one and Squad Pivot was the opening band, and they found out that a friend and I drove like 16 hours to see them or something ridiculous, and so they gave us sweatshirts for our drive, which was very nice. See, I had a Squad Five O Cobra Commander hoodie. Uh, they just stole the like in the 90s. There were no such thing as trademarks. You could just put anything on anything. So I had a, a GI Joe Cobra Commander, uh, and it's, it even said like this. This is how, how wild the 90s were. It even said like a global terrorist organization on it. And you could just wear that. You just walk around with a shirt that's a terrorist organization on it. And then, you know, you couldn't. That reminds me of um, one of their albums, which I... Oh, right. (laughs) Okay, so it came out before 9-11, but the album was Bombs Over Broadway. And it literally, I can't remember if the cover had the World Trade Centers on it. It was definitely bombs falling on New York City. Yeah, but yeah, it was kind of insane. And then 9-11 happened and it was like, am I allowed to listen to this anymore? Yeah, Squad 5 what have you done? It was bizarre. Uh, is it your turn? Oh, yeah. So my number four, let's go with Goaty Hook. They were just a fun band. Every every album they put out was different. One album, they might be punk. Another one, they might be soft rock. And I loved them. <laughs> they had they did this transition from like the dumbest punk rock, like very, very 90s fat records punk rock, where it's like, all right, this song is 14 seconds. This song, someone yelled at us about we need more God lyrics. So all the lyrics are God, 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 God. There's a song about a man who is a, a banana. And then there's like a doo-wop song. You know, it's just stupid 90s punk rock. And it was awesome. And then they faded toward like serious. Like, like goo-goo dolls. Yes. That's what <laughs> the comparison And it was not bad. No, like, it wasn't. Yeah, they became the Christian goo-goo dolls. And it was, you know what? That's a good note to go out on, fellas. I have Goaty Hook number two on my list. Oh, ho. But before then, I believe this band is also on your list. Number three on my list is Slick Shoes. Oh, I love Slick Shoes. The Christian Strung Out. Strung Out, basically, uh, <clears throat> because, yes, I listen to secular music, too. <gasps> strung Out was like, take metal riffs, speed them up a little bit, and add some punk noises over it, and you have fast metal, technically, as punk rock. And Slick Shoes was the, if you go on the, go at the Christian bookstore and you say, all right, I want, I want, I want some punk metal, it'll say Slick Shoes. Slick Shoes, yes, I will just say they're the next one on my list. They were always fun to me because I don't know that any of their songs were super memorable, but every single time I would see them, they were so 
fun to watch. I always had a good time at their shows. And again, they were all very nice people. Okay, so then the next on my list, which is haters going to hate me, but whatever, Reliant K was awesome. It's fun. They were very poppy punk, but they were so fun. And they were just, um, I think they kind of even went a little bit mainstream for what, like had main, mainstream popularity for a little while. They, like, literally, you couldn't go to their show and not have fun unless you were just trying not to. That's me. Yeah. I never got into them, but, like, I never looked down on them, and the reason being that all the girls like them, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, oh, oh, sure, they're fine. They're not my thing, but they're fine. <laughs> uh, it was the most wholesome punk rock you can possibly conceive of. They were seriously so fun. It was like if you wanted to chew bubblegum and watch punk rock, this is who you would do that to. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of... um that band Fountains of Wayne is that the name of that band yeah yeah that was like they were like the Christian version of them interesting so lightning round for our number one uh, <laughs> shout out to other local boys Spud Gun <laughs> this like <Wow. laughs> very 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 average punk band who became world against world is like the weirdest transition they're like wailing and writhing around on the stage um, and all their songs are like the song titles are like 80 words long and it was, it was all for Jesus um, <laughs> the dingies they're like the Christian rancid which is am ambitious but it's the closest you're gonna get uh 90 pound wuss was i liked 90 pound wuss horrible on purpose yeah um <laughs> like for anyone who thinks like a christian band is just a cheap knockoff of a secular band 90 pound wuss is not copying anything <laughs> for good reason there's nothing that sounds like this and i respect that uh and also the cooties a spin the yeah i like the, the cooties, cooties the um this was a spinoff band on tooth and nail that they did the songs that their main band couldn't get away with doing there was one about a girl with uh, 36, 24, 36 measurements, which you can't really say that if you're a member of their main band, which was... <gasps> My favorite. <laughs> and probably shaped a lot of who I am and who I was growing up. MXPX, Magnified Plaid, who is not on Jason's list for whatever reason. Not on my list. Yeah, they crossed over. They, yeah. Like, that's a very... They like, had some hits that were not just Christian. Yeah, that's like a real world... I don't... They, they, they made... were signed to A&M at one point, so... Uh-huh. But they are... It's still around, which is kind of amazing to me as well. Um, I first listened to MXPX at youth camp, church camp, over the summer one year, and I was hooked for life. And then if MXPX played anywhere within a drivable distance and I had my license, then I was going. I spent far too much money following MXPX around. We've talked about a few of these bands involving their sound, which is a, th- a very Christian music thing. Is for a band to say, like, oh, here's the new trend. Well, uh, the Apostle Paul said, I must be all things to all people so that I may win them for Christ. Therefore, I should completely change my style. I should be DC Talk and go from being um, the Beastie Boys to being MC Hammer to being Nirvana to being U2, right? Uh, this is the example for all of us to follow. You must rapidly change your genre every album. It makes me has been playing the same thing since 1994. And it's awesome. <laughs> it's funny because last Christmas, Jason got me a bunch of CDs because, yes, I love CDs. And one of them was like MXPX live show I like pop it in and I still know like every lyric, which is kind of amazing. And our daughter is like, what is this garbage? <laughs> My nieces and nephew love it. We met MXPX came through. I only saw them once or twice, actually. Oh, I've seen them like. Yeah. Way more. I saw him once, and for whatever reason, one of my best friends in high school, by which I mean youth group, was uh, like big in the Christian bass guy world. He was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> high schooler who had like legit respected like British dude, long hair and, and like uh, 70s 
Christian rock band would come around and like, hello, is Andy here? Right? And like, <laughs> oh, 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 right. oh, okay, this is our famous Christian music friend is going to hang out with us. Um, so somehow, like, whenever bands were coming through, we'd just end up tagging along. So we went to the thrift store with MXPX, and um, they they wanted something so local. <laughs> they wanted something local. So dude, lead singer Mike. Mike bought Mike a bought a Georgia Bulldog shirt and wore it on stage. Crazy. That's a cheap Crazy. pop wrestling term for when you just do something to make the locals happy. Um, number one on my list, greatest Christian punk rock band of all time, Paramore. <laughs> also, I'll, I'll back it up with this. To this day, they actually have Christians in the band, unlike MXPX. Well, <laughs> I mean, you don't know their faith. I will. I will. Not, I will judge them by the fruits of their work. I mean, they have a line about God in one of their songs. <laughs> do have a line about God. I remember my uh, a couple of my friends when Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo by it's MXPX. It's a great album if which you is heard the, it. It's the one MXPX album that I'm like, alright, that's fine. I think that's the one where they signed to A&M. Oh, okay. So the grown-ups came yeah. in to produce for, for one album and then they went back to Tooth and Nail. They're still on Tooth and Nail, I'm pretty sure, which is like a Christian label. So, so when, when the Buffalo album came out, which was, it was like the, oh, they're going secular, uh, and it was like, <clears throat> spoiler alert, they've, <laughs> they've been secular for a while now. Uh, my, I remember my friends came over with holding the lyrics, it was like this joke. My friend Chad was like, this is a work of Satan. There's nothing of God <laughs> in here. And of course, he wasn't being serious. He was, we were making fun of we were making fun of the old folks in the church, but I was like, oh, ho, ho, nice try. Lyrics, boom, word God, right there, says God, we're good. Bump it in the cutlass. He had a cutlass. But Paramore has a song called Hallelujah. Paramore has a song called Glory. Paramore is extremely youth group rock, post-youth group rock. I have nothing against Paramore, but MXPX is the number one Christian punk band. <laughs> I mean, most people would agree with you. Yes, I know. Let's see here. From Georgia is a verb. So, one of the more common explanations I heard of the dietary guidelines promulgated in the Old Testament, and Islam for that matter, is that they were mostly hygienic practices and socially beneficial dietary practices that got conflated with godliness. But the Cain and Abel story has stuck in my craw for exactly that reason. Meat is so much more difficult to prepare and cook correctly, safely than fruits and vegetables. What am I missing? So, this is so the law of the Hebrew Bible. A lot of it is, you know, kind of common sense, and a lot of it is kind of scientifically back. Obviously, not the parts about telling women what they can and can't do and all that stuff, and not the parts about, like, stoning people for their lifestyles, but the stuff about what kind of food you can eat. A lot of that is based on, well, there are reasons it is dangerous to eat pig every meal. There are reasons other meats are safer. We know this based on science. So, like, at the time, if they noticed you eat a lot of pig and you get sick, well, since ethics and common sense and morals and laws and spirituality are all tied up let's say hey dummy god said stop eating pig right so like that's one of several explanations for like why certain animals are clean and unclean but in the cain and abel story meat is presented as good and holy and righteous and favored by god whereas vegetables who are which are like better for you than meat is presented as bad so i think the thing we have to keep in mind here is different authors i think this is the simplest thing here and it's weird like the Cain and Abel story a large portion of the commentaries focus on like the murder part and not the sacrifice part the sacrifice of meat versus vegetables is framed as like um well uh, Abel was more generous well and sacrifice is different than eating the meat as well whereas the sacrifice wasn't for eating part of it yeah I think the thing is so the authors of the laws authors of that are putting the rules into Leviticus Deuteronomy etc these are educated priests years after israel had been an established kingdom surely with government officials who kept going around and counting and noticing hey 
people are getting sick all the time, right? So like these educated priests are the ones who are transmitting these rules into the scriptures that would become the Bible. And if we say, you know, this wisdom was inspired by God, then I say that is awesome. That is wonderful because I believe all of our thoughts are inspired by God, even the bad ones, even the really dumb ones. So Cain and Abel, this was written by different older earlier authors who liked mythology and story and emotion and character more than rules and order. In the older storytelling author's stories, God walks and breathes and pouts and regrets and delights and smells and promises. In the nerd priest stories, he proclaims, you know, Genesis 1, this is a nerd priest author. This is God coming in and saying, all right. Here's how it's going to work. Literally, the act of creation is taking chaos and saying, ugh, (laughs) no, we need rules. We need order. We need land and we need a sun to govern the day. Rules. We need a moon to govern the night. Genesis 2, this is a storyteller author. This is saying like, no, no, God is walking around and he's playing in the mud and he's breathing in it and he's making friends to talk to. Two completely different stories. And it is the second one who writes the Cain and Abel story. This God, this God with emotions and, and, and senses who likes aromas, his emotions are stirred by Abel giving the best of his flock. It's just, it smells better. The God of Genesis 2, like, I don't want to say he's a simple man, because he's not a man, but, you know, there's there's a more direct path to his heart, which is make something that afflicts his senses. And yes, it, it does say Abel gave the best of his flock, and it does not say Cain gave the best of his crops. It doesn't say Cain gave his most valuable stuff. Also remember, God had just cursed the ground. God had just told Cain's dad that farming is cursed. Farming is suffering. Farming is how you're going to do this the hard way since you didn't want to follow the rules about which fruit that's already on the tree you can eat and not eat. Also, you can take this in a lot of like intentional mythological directions where like this is explaining why Cain's descendants are the way they are, the, the Kenites, this actual tribe called the Kenites, this nomad tribe. You know, maybe you're explaining why they are the way they are. So I think it, it all goes back to authors. Like the authors of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they were making rules for you to follow. Whereas the authors of Genesis, at least in this story, were telling a story. Plus, sacrifice can mean a lot of different things in the Bible. It can mean community. It can mean worship. It can mean absolving sin. It can mean atonement. It can mean fueling God to become more powerful. There's also, sacrifice in the Bible can just be preparing a meal. It can just be the safe way to prepare meat. Bring it to the priest, bring it to the temple, and they will prepare it in a safe way. They'll take a portion, they'll cook it in a safe way, and now it's safe to eat. So the act of Abel burning and sacrificing the best of his flock, he was making a safe meal. Also, I think we might overstate, we, the collective, we overstate a little bit how much God rejected Cain's sacrifice. Um, A version of Robert Alter's translation could be something like, the thing God says to Cain Why are you so mad, so sad? Whether you give a good sacrifice or a bad one, sin wants you to sin, but you can conquer your sin. So there's a version of this story where God is telling Cain, hey, it's okay, buddy. It's just a sacrifice. Being a good person is what matters most. Yeah, we were, like, we talked about that in that episode, too, where it was more of a a teaching moment, kind of. Cain, Cain was almost embarrassed by the fact that he got schooled. It wasn't necessarily the schooling that was so harsh. Yeah. Then what do we see? We see we see the thing that curses Cain. It's not the sacrifice, it's the murder. The the lesson of the story is is a ritual is a ritual. Worship is worship. Do do your best. But what matters most is not hurting your brother. This is the thing I tell our daughter all the time is tone. Add, adjust, adjust your attitude, like watch your tone. Cain needed to watch his tone. So I think what God was telling Cain is like, "Hey, you know, uh, Abel is better at church than you." You can still be a good person. Then Cain decided otherwise. Right. One other thing, you know, remember the story of Abraham sacrificing a ram instead of Isaac. That story is 
on one level, an argument by God against human sacrifices. Look at what happens here. Cain sacrifices Abel instead of an animal. Cain does the opposite of Abraham, and Cain gets punished for it. These two parts of Genesis are saying, like, human sacrifice is bad. That's not what we do in this religion. Just instead of saying it in a Leviticus rules way, the authors of Abraham are saying it in a story way. A few general guesses as to why those two things are different. Um, from Coach Teddy, favorite Sunday school teacher and why? The first one would be my elementary school Sunday teacher. Her name was Brenda. And she was the sweetest woman you have ever met. And she was the person that I would say led me to my faith. And unfortunately, she passed when I was young, maybe fifth grade. So that was very sad. And she will always, I will always have like these really super positive memories of her because every, I don't think she ever said anything that anyone could have been hurt by. My brothers were friends with her sons too. So they spent a lot of time at her house and she was always just the sweetest, kindest woman that you've ever met. She's like what you think of as like the old school Sunday school teacher. Mm -hmm. And then once I went to the church that I basically then grew up most of the rest of my time in, there were two different ones. So I had this older couple in the church. Their names were Jim and Marjean. They were like kind of the odd couple, but they were so genuine and warm and friendly. And I just wanted to see us all do well in life. So they will always have like this lasting impression because of just how they treated everyone around them they weren't judgmental they weren't trying to convince you that you were all going to hell it was not that kind of relationship they just really cared about your life and how you were doing in that life and in ways that they could maybe teach you lessons that would um help you grow closer in your walk with god that's lovely yeah I had uh, a lot of Sunday school teachers and a lot of youth pastors. I went to a big church where things revolved and evolved all the time. There was one that I think we accidentally drove him to atheism, me and my, my rowdy <laughs> friends. We, uh, wow. Yeah. We, we saw him at the mall like a year after he left the church. We were like, hey, hey, buddy, why haven't you, we haven't seen you for a while? And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. Hey, do you still have my, uh, my PlayStation? Apparently one of us had borrowed his PlayStation. And maybe that was why he didn't believe in God anymore. I don't know. <laughs> but my favorite Sunday school, and, and uh, like there was, there were a bunch of them who were very cool and who, who were like actual, you know, good influences and all that. Uh, my favorite was this dude, Brian, who he would, he went all in, man. He went all in on ministering to these, these wayward youths. Like he would hang out with us at Waffle House till 3 a.m. Uh, he would take us to the fireworks store and say like, yeah, let's, let's go hard. Uh, pile up. Like I remember there was one, this wasn't a holiday or anything. We piled up. It had to be hundreds of dollars of fireworks in the middle of a cul-de-sac and lit them all on fire at once, which is my personal expression of how fireworks should be used is all at once rather than one at a time. <laughs> it was just, it was like, it looked like hell. It was awesome. Cul-de-sac was a lake of fire. Um, let's see from Luke Schmerberg. Best, best, sorry, Luke, best Bible fanfic, meaning a work that fills in gaps in the original text, not just inspired by. Luke's examples, of course, are the Book of Mormon, not the musical. I, I feel like the musical also, I haven't seen the musical. I haven't either. Paradise Lost, Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, I'll go with Last Temptation. Last Temptation is awesome. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I watched it probably at the bottom of my faith. And even at that point, I was like, no, this is my Jesus. This is the guy I believe in. This is the guy who God has been poured into a human skull and the human has to spend his life figuring it out and reckoning with that. Like, I am on board with a Jesus that admits it's hard to be Jesus, which that's in the Bible, but that's not the picture we're given. I actually haven't seen that yet. I'm sure I will watch it at some point. But this shows the difference in Jason and I's personalities as well, because I like movies that make you cry. So I don't know that they would necessarily be considered fanfic, but they're all of those like those feel good faith movies. Like I, I don't even remember the name of it. And Evie loves them, too. But like one of them was about this girl who like fell out of a tree. And so they found oh, something those. that was wrong with her because of 
her falling. I don't know. Anyway, they're always like leading you back to God or people have these like come, come to Jesus moments like where they die and they go to heaven or whatever. All of those, no matter how real they are or not, it doesn't really matter. The, those are the kind of movies that I like to watch. Like Christian Hallmark. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, isn't all of Hallmark basically Christian Hallmark? Is it? I feel like all the Hallmark stories are about how, like, you should get a husband for Christmas. Well, <laughs> they're not all, like, religious-based, but I have a feeling that they're all could be. Hallowed Mark. Yeah. Um, I did grow up in Kansas City where Hallmark is located. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Media media center of the Christian universe. Oh, heavily influenced there by that. <laughs> uh, along those lines from Michael Gibbler, when was the first time in media, be it movie, TV, games, that you noticed biblical influences in non-biblical content? So that is part of what inspired this show. The way I am, I'm always like, oh, this is like a thing in Star Wars or Marvel or college football. like Or all of the above. <laughs> like my most elevated moments, it's like, oh, this is like a thing I remember from being an English major. Uh, but <laughs> that's not going to last long because we're going to talk about pro wrestling shortly. Honestly, I tried to take this literally. Michael's question was the first time. You could probably take this back to Land Before Time, the uh, cartoon about dinosaurs, <laughs> one of the greatest movies ever made, where like, what are we doing? All right, uh, there's been a sacrifice. Uh, we're going on a, on an exit to the promised land to the garden right the, the tree of life land before time extremely biblical but the one i remember actually citing as a kid was my parents seeing seeing me playing legend of zelda it's like oh it's got it's got skeletons and demons and, and, and stuff <laughs> and i'm like oh ho, ho. So let me turn around the main character real fast and show you what's on his shield it's a cross i remember showing that to my parents like no see i'm 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 a little i'm a little christian who's killing satan it's pilgrim's <laughs> progress basically i don't remember ever having a moment where I felt that way but I mean looking back at so many different movies that we've watched are based around the rules that we have in the Bible for starters but um, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter I mean those are the big ones I feel like almost blatant. And it's funny Harry Potter because like apparently you Christians know, hate Harry Potter. Well a lot of them did like yeah. I, I came from an extremely opportunistic church where they will relate anything like i remember at a lock-in at an arcade uh, a small group leader walking past we're playing mortal Kombat, and he sees shang Tsung, the doodles like wrench your soul out of your body and eat it and he's like oh we know who that is don't we and he's relating <laughs> it to satan like mortal Kombat. so i remember harry potter just being like oh it's about a very special chosen boy who is here to defeat satan yes we're all in like the witchcraft stuff like we were so <laughs> we were so evangelical that they, we were like, beyond like, the circled back stuff. around yeah <laughs> And when I say evangelical, I, I mean in that context, I mean the lowercase e where it's literally just we will do anything to spread the news, you know, whereas a capital E evangelical, oh, witchcraft. Yeah, I don't remember, like, I remember buying the Harry Potter books for my little brother growing up, but I don't ever remember there being any controversy whatsoever. So I think with this question, um, noticing biblical references in pop culture, if you didn't get it by the time The Matrix came out. Oh, yeah, The Matrix. <laughs> youth yeah. pastors went bananas for The Matrix. This this was the I just picture every youth pastor in America like rushing to the car to write down because their phones didn't exist at the time. Um, just rushing to the car to write down like messages and sermons about the, <laughs> the Matrix. But yeah, the Bible, the stuff we're talking about, like it created a huge portion of pop culture and it brought out stuff that is in so many stories anyway. And it sort of codified and universalized a lot of those things. Um, all right. From Justin Ferguson, two part question. One. Did y'all know of the existence of a Baptist hymn written in the 1970s called God of Earth and Outer Space? It's also been called by some Baptists the worst hymn ever written. Wow. Did we, uh, did we pull, this, pull yeah, up this I, number? Yeah, I have the lyrics. And at, Okay, so as I was reading it, I was like, the tune that popped into my head is We Three Kings. So like, if you go read these lyrics and you know that song, pretty popular you're song. You're saying you're not going to sing it in that tune? No, I'm not going to. Okay. You can. You're welcome. Let me take a shot. Okay, go for it. <clears throat> 
Oh, I get it now. God of Earth and outer space, God of love and God of grace, bless the astronauts who fly as they soar. I forget how that song That's goes. That's really how tell. he sings, though, guys. As they, <laughs> I'm not really it doesn't doing get it, any better than as that. they soar beyond the sky. God who flung the stars in space, God who set the sun ablaze, fling the spacecraft through the air. Let man know your presence there. The space stuff kind of continues. God of power, God of might. God of rockets firing bright. See, that's like a total ripoff of We Three Kings. Like, that's like almost word for word. <laughs> we Three Kings, which is also about space because they're following a star. Yeah. The song ends with love that gave nativity, love that gave us Calvary, and nothing about space. Like, you need to bring it back home. That's my main problem with these lyrics. Like, love that gave nativity, love that gave us Neptune, no, love that gave Neptune to me, anything. So this song was written in the 70s, and it definitely feels like it was written in the 70s. <laughs> Back before they had anyone. I mean, to... I don't necessarily have a problem with mixing space and hymns. Sure. It just doesn't. It. This ain't it. it no. <laughs> uh, second part of Justin's question. In light of that hymn and its reaction, here's a question I've always had. Why don't church folks talk about space more? If you believe that God created all of this, then why don't they talk about it more? All the galaxies, all the stars, all the massive vastness of space that we know exists, wouldn't it be a calling card to be like, yeah, our God made all of that and he cares about us tiny specks of dust here on just one of the planets in one of the galaxies? Or is it because they're all afraid of talking about aliens? So this is probably the core of my brain, this question here. <laughs> Outer space plus the vastness and the mystery of God. I feel like they go hand in hand, honestly. Very, like that's how my brain puts very, it together. Very, very much. But also, I don't. I really do remember growing up that feeling of look at the vastness of the universe and god does care about you as this tiny speck like that was very much something that we were taught so maybe that's not like on the on the billboards but in sunday school classes that's the the vibe that i i got i don't know about you it was mentioned and my trip to huntsville space camp it might have been a youth group trip that's maybe um maybe we went to the uh the the fernbank spaceatorium and looked at the fake stars and whatever and maybe that was a youth group trip as well. But, like, not enough was made of it. Not enough connections were made. <clears throat> I would also agree with that. And I do think it is, at least from within the group I was raised in, part of it is fear of science. But that's not a thing for religion at, at large. Like, the ancient rabbis, they were interested in constellations, comets, stars, Maimonides, one of the greatest Hebrew Bible experts ever, was into astronomy. Astronomy is huge in Islam. The Jesuits are very into space. They run the Vatican's observatory. In 1891... The Pope said, let's go find some aliens. He told the Vatican, he told the Vatican Observatory wow. to find him some aliens. Wow. I don't think it worked yet. The, well, we're still working on it. Uh, the Jesuits say the Bible is not a science textbook. When it was written, the idea of science textbooks didn't even exist. And to confuse it with a science book does the Bible no honor. But this brings us back to like Genesis where we talked about like the creation of the world and how scientifically that can work together. So, yeah. So, so the Jesuits would be all on board with that idea. I have one book actually that comes to mind. The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. It won various sci-fi awards whatever year it came out in the 90s. It's about a Jesuit priest who goes on, you could call it a missionary trip to another planet. Jumps around in time. It's not spoiling it to say things go poorly. But it's very much about the idea of space travel and religion. And these Catholic astronomers have said, like, 
if an alien wanted to be baptized, sure, the existence of aliens wouldn't contradict anything in the Bible. Aliens might have never even been corrupted by original sin anyway. If you believe in original sin, then you don't necessarily have to believe that everything in the universe was corrupted by it. And the discovery would have to be evaluated by science before theology anyway. Like, why would we even worry about whether these things have souls until we figure out what these, thing these things are? So, like, the official Catholic position on aliens, at least as delivered by, like, Jesuit astronomers, is like, sure, bring it on. And that's the case for almost every religion, basically. Like, in, in Judaism, doing the right is the first step. If these creatures can follow the law, great. And Ezekiel saw UFOs. <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And there's a verse in Judges we'll talk about during the Judges episode. There, there's a space battle in Judges. I can't wait. Uh, Buddhism? Like, Buddhism is like, yeah, we tried to tell you this, right? <laughs> Buddhism is like, yeah, yeah, we, we know. Um, almost every religion, like Islam is like, okay, then that means that one of the many prophets who God sent, he sent one to that planet. Easy. Done. It's Protestant literalism, you know, literalist Christianity where you need to expand the rules a little bit. You know, if you say there's only one Jesus and only one planet and only one place ever, then what about these other planets if they had conscious life? Like, were there many Jesuses? Was his sacrifice even a bigger deal than we ever realized? Was it a sin debt sacrifice at all? Was something else going on? Did he do it just once on one planet out of billions? Or did he do it all of them at once? Or is it... Was that just our turn in the rotation? Is he still working his way around the cosmos? Like, I just listed a bunch of sci-fi book ideas. This is where my brain stops working. <laughs> and he can keep going. Oh, yeah. Like, sorry. Like, Justin, um, you, you should probably apologize to Emily because I'm, like, as soon as we press stop recording, I'm just going to keep talking about my, this. Um, literally, what happens in my brain, I feel like for certain things, like, I care too deeply. And this is why I've always said that I can't be, like, a real sports fan because I get too emotionally attached and I, I just have to shut my brain off before it turns to mush. So you're saying you care too much about... Well, like, it would be it would become too much for my brain to handle thinking about, like, if there were multiple Jesuses and they sacrificed on all of these different planets. I, yeah. I shut down. Well, I mean, I think <laughs> that's probably the wise thing. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, yeah, all religious people should obsess over space. It's mystery. It's vastness. It's all to look up at night and to... to barely be able to comprehend what you're looking at like you're getting a fleeting taste of what the word god can mean like god doesn't mean bearded guy in the sky god means god means holy ish look at all of that and look at how little we are look at all the mystery the percentage of the universe we don't know what it is that we don't even know if we can know what it is there could be multiverses black holes could be portals to other universes you know the the big bang could be just one of many bangs this conversation now is reminding me of The Good Place, which you never watched the finale of, so I'm not going to spoil anything here, but I can't even say what I'm going to say because it might spoil it, so never mind. Okay. To me, embrace the awe, embrace science. Like, I, I feel like every now and then I see this idea that, like, science is whittling away at the idea of God and shrinking God's jurisdiction. Like, God is just, you know, God is what we call the things we don't understand, and, like, like you know, constantly science is shrinking God's role and, like, Okay, you're telling me you know what dark matter is. You're telling me you know what's beyond the seven dimensions that we've discovered in string theory that you know we can't even really perceive. We just know we're there. You're telling me that's the end of it, right? The more mysteries we find, the more mysteries we find. Like, like you look into a universe that is possibly infinite in size and part of other infinite number of universes, and that's just the big scale. Zoom it down to the little scale, and there might be universes within each atom of our body. And you're telling me there's no room for God in this? I think. Religious people should go all make it as weird as possible. Be like the Kabbalists. 
Kabbalah's just like, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, we'll take this and make it weirder. Yes. Uh, space, yes, go all in. Um, pastors should wear astronaut helmets. They, wow. they should they should come in with like theories about ancient aliens and and uh, mega structures and, and Dyson spheres and time travel. Yep, the weirder it is, the better that makes your case, in my opinion. From Hank Savorzini. Sorry, Hank. Best biblical names to put on the back of a jersey. What did you have? Uh, Goliath, obviously. Yeah, for a little guy. Or, yeah, or just make it really obvious. Uh, Jethro. Great name. Mm-hmm. That's a coach. That's a coach name. Moses' coach. I just think it's this country boy just coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Barnabas, because <laughs> they could call him the barn. Right, okay. <laughs> and Rufus, like you're calling your dog. Very coachable. I like, obviously, you know, like the, the badass names, Abaddon, the Beast. You know, the Bible's full of names where you put on a jersey and you're like, oh, no. That defensive lineman from Auburn named Abaddon. Stay away from that guy. Um, you could have a Jordan and a James on the same team. They can debate who's the greatest NBA player. I like the really short names. Dan, Gad, Job. Job is probably the funniest one, you know? So he's like, oh, he's missed his last 10 shots. When will his suffering end? Job is out there. Oh, oh God has forsaken me. My jumper has left me. God is- <laughs> and then the, the flip side would be on. O-N from number 16. That dude is on. Let's do let's do two more. Uh, and we have some other good questions that I wanted to get to, but maybe we'll save them for next time. From Cowden Rayburn, I can't get enough of the stories of youth pastors being especially youth pastory. Please share some. My youth pastor actually married us. That's not a very youth pastory story, but that's how much I liked him. He served as the minister at our at our wedding. Yeah. He didn't next. <laughs> I know there are some some religious cultures in which he would have literally married us, but but you didn't have the very hijinksy youth pastors. No, I mean he was definitely he participated in whatever hijinks we came up with, but he didn't instigate them typically, except for when we would TP the pastor's house. And this was always like a challenge because if the pastor caught you, he was known to like tie you up and hose you down. And it was usually winter wow. when we would. Do, I mean, it was all in good fun, I guess. Looking back, that sounds terrible, but. We never got caught, so I don't know if those were just, like, stories that they told, but he was definitely a part of that kind of fun. I don't remember, like, being invited to he and his wife's apartment, so it wasn't, like, a weird situation, but, like, groups of us youth kids would just show up at his apartment. In those moments, then he would, like, go tell us to go play ding-dong ditch on his neighbors, and I remember walking to Walmart at, like, midnight with he and his wife, maybe not his wife. She seems too good for that. Some lady. Some lady. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) I just mean maybe it was just him. I don't know. So we didn't have like weird hijinksy things necessarily, I guess. But he was a really fun guy. That's good. Sounds like basic standard youth pastor. Yeah. Until like, a Mr. Replacement loser came along. Oh. Uh, most of my, well, there was a wide range. Like I almost want to do the entire chronology, but the one that most comes to mind was this dude named Marty. This might have been 11th grade. This was around the time when we're all like, all right, we're, we're moving beyond some childish things here. You know, there's just certain things we're not going to get all that worked up about, like upperclassmen know-it-alls. Remember this dude came in, and there was one night where he was so worked up about what Hollywood was wreaking within the minds of America's youth. The culture war, the the damage that the messages we were getting from the liberals, the atheists, the sex cretins in the media were doing to our poor teenage minds. And the movie that had him so worked up Uh that it so savaged his soul and tormented his mind was Forrest Gump. So Marty got up there <laughs> during this message. This is a pretty good rant. He had statistics. Oh, gosh. So he said, do you know how many times they say goddamn in this movie? And you all sat and watched it. You all sat and listened to this movie where they said, <gasps> he did have a big inhale. GD, 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 GD. He's doing this on stage and he did it for all of them. He, he quoted every GD. He only said GD, but he, he stood there and screamed GD. And the whole time we're like, 
I haven't seen Forrest Gump. My grandma has seen Forrest Gump. I, <laughs> I saw Fight Club, you know? Like, I didn't see Forrest Gump. I saw Forrest Gump and Fight Club. A youth pastor being like that fed up about Forrest Gump. That's probably the most youth pastor thing I've ever witnessed. But there was, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of, like, guitar guy at the camp and, like, we're going to do paintball. You yeah, know. we had all that. Yeah, all the fun stuff. stuff. We had all that, too. But it's the well, I do silly have, stuff. I do have one kind of like that. They had all the kids in the youth group. And I did not do this, but my older brother did bring in their CDs, their secular CDs. Oh, yeah. And they just destroyed all of them. And I remember being so sad because I couldn't listen to Green Day Dookie anymore because my brother destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I think he went and repurchased like half the CDs he broke. Oh, like, yes. That was always a thing. But So like by so the- we're just perpetuating <laughs> this music industry that they didn't like. I remember there was this cycle that we would get in where it's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to delete all my secular MP3s, you know, and you clear out your Winamp and you have it down to just like, you know, Christian bands or whatever, but they're going to find their way back in, aren't they? They're going to filter the way back in. You're going to turn away from the Lord and you're going to download Aaliyah, try again for like the 35th time. And then you're going to, you're going to go get rededicated and you're going to go home and you're going to delete all your mob deep MP3s one more time. And eventually it'll take. But yeah, I remember at the uh, the CD throwaway things, whenever that would happen, everyone gets stirred up about that. That was a great time to swoop in. And... <laughs> Brother, let me bear your burden. Let me take on this sin debt for you. I will bear the burden. I will be the scapegoat. I will take all of your NoFX CDs. I'll take all of your Metallica CDs. I will even take all your DMX CDs. And that way you could relieve guilt from your from your friends. They let you leave the doors with someone else's CDs. So, I mean, it was a weird church. It was a weird <laughs> church. I will give you that. Yes. <laughs> it was. I think it was about the performance of feeling bad, but like... Yeah, I remember just picking up a stack and like, sweet, because uh, I was obviously not rededicated at the time. By the time I mean, I... I feel like it was just very much a situation of let's guilt these kids as much as we can. Possibly. I, don't, I went to a weird way. church. Everything was complicated. Like even the guilt stuff was like, I don't know. It was like, get you to the breaking point and then like just stop talking. About, I don't know. Like I hear story, like I hear horror stories of kids being beaten down emotionally, you know, and kids being like terrified with like over the top fire and brimstone stuff. And I had bits of that. Like I know enough to know what we're talking about. I don't know. What I remember most is the fun stuff, the weird stuff. And then like the hard, scary, mean stuff was like, it felt like the anomaly even though I know it was the main... It's Maybe the, you're just numb to it because it happens so often. Well, it's part of it. It was the stuff that stuck most in my brain at 3 a.m. I'll put it that way, the hell stuff. It was the stuff that did the most lasting damage, that's for sure. They just made sure that that was the part that would stick. It's like getting the worst beaten of your life so that you won't ever do that again. But I did continue to listen to DMX. Yeah, I wasn't talking about that part. But. Um, from Let's close it down this time around. We have more questions on here. They're still in the dock. I feel like this will do this, I don't know, regularly? I don't know. Every now and again. From Paul Rach, perhaps that's how you say What is the best biblical passage in how Americans should treat refugees my my this is topical uh there's a lot of them one thing we find with this particular message is it is consistent exodus 22 don't wrong or oppress a sojourner because you were sojourners in egypt goes on to say if you do then horrible things will happen to you leviticus 19 treat someone who travels to your land like you would treat someone who was born there Numbers 15, you and the stranger should worship God in the same way. You and the stranger should be alike in the eyes of the Lord. Deuteronomy 23, when someone is fleeing oppression, don't send them back. Let them find a place to live in your town 
And this commandment, by the way, these are commandments. These aren't suggestions. These are commandments. It's written in a way where it's clear you must have active agency in ensuring this happens. Don't forget about them and hope for the best. Don't funnel along to an agency. Don't assume a church or a charity will take care of it. The commandment from God is when someone is fleeing oppression, you must take care of them. Proverbs, Ruth, the Gospels, consistent on this. Jesus was a refugee. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, refugees. Revelation 7, bring it home. Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing as one together in heaven, no matter where they came from and no matter why they left there. So the messages of the Bible that feel best to hang on to, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was repeating earlier books when he said that. Love God. Jesus was repeating the earlier books when he said that. This has got to be one of the five or so most consistent messages is this thing about welcoming refugees, you know. Taking care of others. And specifically refugees and travelers. It ties into both the story and the commandments. Thank you once again for listening to Vacation Bible School Podcast. We'll be back on track with the main storyline stuff next time with, hey, we're going to get some rules from the volcano guy on top of the mountain. And Moses is going to start leading us toward the promised land and all that stuff. If you'd like to support the show, greatly appreciate it. You have several options. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, VBS Podcast on both. You can subscribe to the newsletter, jasonkirk.substack.com. You could leave us a rating and review on the podcast app of your choice. Very helpful, more helpful than you might realize. If you'd like to commit further, we have the Patreon, where a $1 love offering, deeply appreciated and highly favored. We also have options available for other folks. Thank you very much to you folks who have gone ahead and joined our board of deacons, our assembly of associate pastors. Your support is greatly, greatly appreciated and has been an encouragement onto us as we continue onward. Until next time on the VBS Podcast.